Jesus, you are so worthy of our praise. God, we come tonight to you to seek you to lift your name up. And we thank you for your presence here already felt in this time of worship. And God, I just want to take a moment to just stop and pause and ponder how worthy you are of our worship, God. You're the Lamb of God who sacrificed your life for us, Lord. And we just pause to give you worship. Lord, what a beautiful name, what a wonderful name, what a powerful name your name is for. You have the power to save us, Lord, and free us from our sins. So we just pause, God, to give you that honor right now. Thank you, God, for this moment we have, for this time tonight to worship and now to study your word. And I ask, God, that you would bless your word, anoint it by your Holy Spirit, and may you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, aloha, everyone. Good evening, you guys. Um, why don't you grab your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20, and we're back here on Wednesday night and doing our study, going through the book of Luke. And I'm going to give you our, our title tonight already. Uh, in Luke 20, as we continue on, our title tonight is The Rebellious Heart. The Rebellious Heart. I read about a mother who told her boy to stay seated in the chair. There had been a struggle going on with that, and after much resistance, he finally gave in to her command. But soon, after he grudgingly sat down, the boy was heard stubbornly saying, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing on the inside. Well, isn't that how children can be sometimes? Yeah? But isn't that how we can even act toward God? Sometimes. Well, in our study tonight in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus confronts the Jewish religious leaders in this very thing. He, he uh, really exposes their stubborn attitude and their rebellious heart. So the title of our message, once again, is The Rebellious Heart. The Rebellious Heart. We're going to be covering tonight verses 9 through 19. Verse 9 through 19 in Luke chapter 20. Now our outline tonight is this. And number one is the parable. Number two is the prophecy. And number three is the politics. So uh, that's our outline. That's what we're going to be covering. That's the idea here. So let's begin with number one, the parable. The parable. Now if you're taking notes, we're going to be covering verses 9 through Verse 15, but I put 15a, like the first part of 15. Uh, in the second section, we'll continue on in, with the second part of verse 15. But for this section, the parable is verse 19 through verse 15a. So let's take a look at those verses right now, beginning at verse 9. In Luke chapter 20, we read here, verse 9, And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. 
Verse 10, when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And then verse 11, and he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, this one also they wounded and cast out. Then, verse 13, the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And then verse 15, just the first part, And they threw him out of their vineyard and killed him. All right, we'll stop here. Now, we begin here with Jesus telling the people this parable. Now, remember, a parable is a story, analogy, a picture of what maybe he's portraying God's truth. It could be a principle of God, or it's to teach a lesson. And this particular parable that we're getting into tonight is known as the parable of the wicked tenants, or some translations say the parable of the wicked farmers. Now, Jesus gives this parable while he's teaching in the temple. Remember, this is about Tuesday, the last Tuesday of his life. He's heading toward the cross at the end of the week. And so he's been going to the temple every day, we learn, to teach. And he's in that Lanai area, Solomon's porch, at the edges on the of the outer area of the outer courtyard. And there were many rabbis taught. And so Jesus is teaching there, and there's a crowd gathered there to listen to him teach. Now, Jesus gives this parable as we continue on here in chapter 20. It's on the heels of when this official delegation came to Jesus to actually confront him, to ask him that question. Who gives you this authority? And we learned that last week, right? Where these guys, uh, they were representatives of the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the Pharisees, scribes, and, and elders of the Sanhedrin, the ruling group of Israel that time. And these religious leaders came to confront Jesus because they didn't like Jesus' teaching. Uh, who's this? you know, unsanctioned rabbi. They didn't like how he overturned the tables, chased out, and, uh, you know, the money changers and the, the merchants there. And we, we talked about all that. So they came, and Jesus confronted. I mean, they confronted Jesus, and Jesus answered them. You can pick up the study, but uh, uh, listen to the podcast from last week. But basically, they had a problem with authority here. So if you remember what was going on here with this delegation and all, trying to get answers from Jesus, and um, they wouldn't confess where John the Baptist came from. And so Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you what authority I come in then. Well, so he, he comes in next with this parable. It's like he turned to the people, the crowd at that time. The official delegation is still there, and he begins to give them this parable we just read. Now, we read a bunch of verses here, and it's it's a pretty long parable, but it tells this story. So let's get into this parable right now. In verse 9, he began to tell the people this parable, and he talked about this man. Now, this man is the owner of this vineyard. He's the master. He's, he's the owner now. And he leased, he let out to tenants, the tenants, uh, to come and, and basically lease out portions of the land 
to work the land here, and particularly this vineyard of, of grapes and all. They were there to work the land and then to also harvest the crop when time came to take care of the land for the owner. And in, in exchange, they would be able to uh, have a place to live and have food for themselves and all. So this was a place for, for them as they leased out from the land owner. Now, the owner went to another country for a long while. So they were in charge. They were working the land while the owner was gone, and they were entrusted this land of the owner. So let's stop here for a moment. Now, in this parable, the man or this owner is really God. That's who it is. It's, it's the Lord God. And the vineyard or the land is basically the people of Israel. And that's the analogy here. The tenants or these farmers are really what he's talking about is the religious Jewish leaders. These are the guys, and we're going to see that they later in this passage that they're, they're going to realize that Jesus is talking about them. So the owner is God, the vineyard is the people of Israel, and the tenant. Uh, farmers, they are the religious leaders. So this parable is about the religious leaders tasked to care for God's people, for Israel. So Jesus goes on in verse 10, and so a time came, he sent a servant, and that they would come and get some of the fruit of the vineyard. I mean, that was part of the deal here in their leasing. Usually, when harvest time came, the owner would get like 25% of the crop. That was like, you know, what was owed him. This is his land. They're working it for him. But what happened in verse 10 is that the wicked tenants, they ended up uh, beating the servant that was sent and, uh, uh, to receive part of the crop, and they sent him back empty-handed. So the owner thought, well, I'm going to try again. He sent another servant in verse 11, but they also beat him up, treated him shamefully, and sent him back empty-handed. And then verse 12, a third time, the owner sent another servant, but they also wounded him and cast him out of the vineyard. So crazy. You can see how wicked and crazy these tenants are. Now in this parable, as we're introduced to these servants, the servants are the prophets of God. That's how, who they represent. It's, it's the prophets that God has sent to the people of Israel. Now, the fruit that, that God is looking for is spiritual fruit, like godliness or obedience and repentance. That's what he's looking to gather from the vineyard or the people of Israel. So the parable speaks of the sad history, really, of the Jewish religious leaders, the wicked tenant farmers, who sent the prophets back and beat them, abused them. And so it really speaks about how these servants of God were treated when God sent the prophets to try and bring fruit, out, a spiritual fruit, out of the people of Israel. Well, these religious leaders are just like their forefathers. Uh, that's why Jesus mentions three times here the owner sends servants. Uh, these Jewish leaders are really following the abuse and rejection of God's prophets. You know, over and over again, we see this in the Old Testament. Over and over, it became a pattern of this rejection and rebellion of 
of these leaders, these priests and sometimes kings, how they rejected God's prophets. For example, Jeremiah the prophet. Did you know he was beaten? He was thrown his, in prison. His life was threatened. We find that in Jeremiah 26 and, and chapter 38. Or like Isaiah. Isaiah, prophet of, of God who sent to the people, sent there. You know what happened to him? He was persecuted. He was hated. And in the end, he was put inside, tradition says, in this hollow log, and he was sawn in two. He was sawed in half there. Or we know about Zechariah, who was stoned to death right there in the courtyard of the temple. Maybe in the very place Jesus was standing. I don't know, but... But how sad that this prophet of God was stoned to death there in the temple of God. So over and over, God's servants, servants are sent by God. These prophets were either beaten or they were killed, but they were persecuted. And so actually the Pharisees these or these Jewish religious leaders, they are following in that line of the history there of God sending his prophets. All right, then in verse 13, the parable goes on and Jesus says, well, then the owner of the vineyard, he's like, well, wh what can I do? I mean, you know what? He says, I'm going to send my own son, my beloved son, and, per and, and perhaps hoping that they will respect the son of the owner, his, his blood right there. But we see they didn't. Because in verse 14, when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let's kill him so that inheritance may be ours. And what it was in the ancient time, the law was, if, if there was no heir to the property, the property belonged to whoever was staying there at the time. So it was like, there's no heir? Oh, then, you know what? Then, and according to the law, it will become ours and we will own that land. So that's what they thought. That's what they uh, plotted. So they're like, let's, let's kill him. So what did they do? They threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. How sad is that? So you can see why this is a parable of the wicked tenants or farmers. Now, in this part, in this parable, it's, we, we can see what's going on. What, what's this a picture of, right? Here, God, the owner, says, hey, you know what? I'm going to send my beloved son. Who's that? Jesus, right? I'm going to send my own son, my beloved son, and they're going to respect him. They're going to have to respect him. Think about that. I mean, God sends his own son there, right? Jesus Christ comes. Here's God becoming uh, a God coming in the flesh, becoming human being, walking among human beings to speak for God, to, to show people what God is like, to teach, to come representing the Father. Here's God coming in the flesh. And so the Father's hoping that the people listen to Jesus, the Son of God, God being right there. But what happened? Well, we know the wicked farmers or these tenants are the religious leaders, right? And so what did they do? They Here in, in the parable, they threw him out, right? Think about what happened to Jesus. He was taken out of Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, to the place where crucifixions were done, outside the city walls, 
he was taken out and there he was killed just like what was saying in this parable so there we see an analogy of what these Jewish religious leaders will do and and, and we're going to be seeing that as we get into the end of uh, this book but we're going to see how the Jewish religious leaders they manipulated the Romans they, they they were the ones who caused all this to happen so they were the wicked tenant farmers here and so the parable really exposes the rejection and the rebellion of the wicked hearts of these officials remember they're still here listening to all this they're still standing as Jesus is teaching this See, the parable, the parable here, our heading, of the wicked tenants is exactly what the religious leaders were thinking. It exposed their hearts as they stood right here before Jesus. Jesus even told the disciples in Matthew 26, 2, in a parallel passage, he said, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. He told the disciples, Jesus knew exactly what they were going to do. So, what we see here is the parable exposes how these Jewish leaders wanted the benefits of God and not God himself. That's what it really exposes. Remember, they came like, who's in authority? And we're continuing on really that thought. And so the parable is exposing how, just like the, the wicked tenants, right? They didn't care about who owned the land. They didn't care that they were blessed to be on in the vineyard and have a place to live, yeah, to exist, that they had a job. They didn't care. They just wanted those benefits and they didn't want to know or they didn't care about the vineyard owner at all. So in this parable exposes how these Jewish leaders wanted the benefits of God and not God himself. You know, on uh, one of my mission trips um, to Japan, it was, um, it was, I think it was in November. And so it was close to Christmas and Christmas time and and you could see in Japan, even in Japan, like in the stores, there were Christmas decorations and, and Christmas lights. And they had like wrapped gifts and, and all that. But you know what the interesting thing was? There was nothing about Jesus Christ. Nothing about the birth of Jesus. Nothing like nativity scenes or anything. It was, it was, all, it was everything else. But that, you know, it was, it was about the decorations and, and ornaments and all of that and, and uh, um, uh, you know, trees and things like that. But there was nothing about Jesus. Even, even with Japan in their westernization of things, you know, embracing, you know, things from the West, America, yet Jesus was not a big part of that. Matter of fact, one of the, uh, I was reading about this, one of the Japanese Christmas traditions is to, um, for their holiday meal, is to get their holiday meal from Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, I read that orders are placed weeks in advance, and then on Christmas Day, uh, people go out to get their order, and there's like long lines that sometimes take hours and hours to pick up your bucket of chicken crazy yeah so christmas is 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 in japan it's about chicken kentucky fried chicken 
Uh, it's not about Jesus. It's Christmas and chicken. Isn't that crazy? Well, I was thinking about how, you know what, in America, Christmas is changing, right? With groups and people trying to break any connection to Jesus, right? Taking Jesus out of Christmas. It's like, well, we want the benefits of what Christmas is about, but we don't want to make it about Jesus. And that's what these Pharisees were like. That's what these, these tenant farmers were like, right? They, they wanted the benefits. They wanted that land. They wanted what the owner had, what given them. And it's like the Pharisees. It's like these Jewish religious leaders, the chief priests. They, they wanted that benefits of being the religious leaders, of, of handling the laws of Moses, of having that position that they were called to, quote-unquote. But they didn't want Jesus. Isn't that crazy? How can you have, say, Christmas without Jesus? It's like having a birthday party without the guest of honor. It's like, oh, we want Christmas, yeah, but we don't want you, you, Jesus, when it's all about him. And so there's the Jewish leaders. They want to kill, yeah, the, the, the owner's son so they can get the inheritance. They, that's the Jews. They want to kill Jesus and still have the benefits of God but not wanting God himself. You know, rather than leading the nation into repentance, rather than leading the nation, all the people, into following God, following the Messiah, Jesus Christ, they rebelled against God because they wanted to lead the nation themselves because they wanted that position. They wanted their lifestyle. So you can see in this parable, it exposes how the Jewish leaders wanted the benefits of God, but not God himself. Are we so selfish that we want the same? You know, sometimes we, we can be that way. Maybe we're, we're, we're concerned of, of God, of keeping the blessings. God, yeah, yeah, thank you. Lord, I got this blessing, but you're not really following God. Yeah. God has blessed you maybe where you live. God has blessed you in a job. God is maybe you've come to God and change, he's changed your life and 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 you have blessings. You're, there's there's things that, that God has done in your life yet you're not really following him. Yeah. Sometimes people get into ministry or are serving and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, we like that." Yeah. I like working with the kids or I I like playing music. I I like, you know, serving in the back and doing these things. But are you really here to do that or to seek God? Is it really for the Lord? I mean, why are you here? Why do we follow God? Are you more into having these things that come with God or come with ministry or come with church or having God a part of your life? Are you more into that than God himself? Self, you know, when God asks us for a portion of something he gave you, right? The vineyard owner, owner said, hey, it's the harvest time and sent his servant, right? Are we holding on so tight that we don't want to give that? Are we holding on so tight to the monies, to things God has given us that God wants to maybe tie back, offer back, help someone else with? Bless them with something we have, yet we're holding on. No, no, 
Do we complain? Do we hold on to it? I mean, who really owns everything we have anyway? Yeah? The vineyard owner. Right? He's the master. He's the owner. Everything we have, we're just stewards. Yeah? We're just managers of the things he allowed us to have. So we need to check our attitude right now. As we look at how how wrong the the Jewish religious leaders are, they're they're like these wicked tenants in this parable. And we need to check our own attitude. Do we have the same? If so, they're indicators of the rebellious heart. So this is the parable. Let's go on to number two, the prophecy. The prophecy. And here we're going to pick it up from the second part of verse 15 into verse 18 in this section. So take a look here in the second part of verse 15. It says, What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Verse 16, He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. Let's let's stop there for a moment. Now Jesus ends this parable this way. He puts out a question. He, he, he puts out a question to the crowd, just, just saying, he ends this by saying, hey, well, what do you think the owner of the vineyard is going to do now? After the wicked tenants had killed one servant, two servants, three servants, and when the son, when his beloved son came, they take him out and kill him. I'm sorry, the servants, they, they beat up and everything, but they, and they end up killing the, the beloved son. What do you think the owner of the vineyard will, will do? Well, Jesus throws out this question, and then he answers the rhetorical question. He says, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. So Jesus answers and says, you know what? He's, he's going to get rid of these guys and get new ones, basically. Yeah. Now, in this parable, remember the owner is God. And because of the rejection of his beloved son, he's going to destroy these wicked tenants. Uh, who are we talking about these tenants? The Jewish religious leaders, right? And then he's going to take them out of play there, and he's going to give the vineyard to others. Now, in this parable, you know what that's talking about? That's talking about the Gentiles. It's speaking of the Gentiles. See, we know that not only did the Jewish uh, leaders reject Jesus, but we know at the end of this week, the people of Israel are going to be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And, and the, the nation in general is going to reject Jesus. And so what's going to happen? Well, God will then turn and go and reach out to the Gentiles. And remember, that was Paul's calling. That was his ministry. And, and though many Jews did come to Christ, we know in the book of Acts, ultimately uh, uh, God went out to the Gentiles, and that was the church, right? The church was born. Uh, God reaching out to Gentiles in general, and that was the new group who we are Christians now. And those are the new tenants of the vineyard. They will be Gentile believers who fully embrace Jesus. So then look at verse 16. The people, when they heard this at the end of verse 16, it says, they said, surely not. In other words, 
No, it, it, it can't happen that way. In other words, that's so wrong. Yeah, For tenant farmers to do that, that is so wrong to, to abuse the servants, the owner sends, and then his only son kill him. Don't, no way. Now they're saying this, not realizing that that's what the Jewish religious leaders are doing at that moment. And that's what's going to happen soon. That they're going to go after Jesus and have him killed. And they're saying this, no way, this can't happen. This, that, no way, that, that, that's not right. Not, they're saying that, not realizing that soon they're going to be following the religious leaders. So, Jesus, knowing that, he says this in verse 17 and 18. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So Jesus is responding now. They're going, no, no, that's wrong. No, no, things can't happen like that. But Jesus knows it's going to happen like that. And Jesus even knows the heart of the crowd there. So Jesus responds to their denial. And, and notice here in verse 17, I, I think this is interesting. He looked directly at them. He's looking at the crowd. He's looking at the officials there. Yeah, he's, he's hearing what they're saying, but he's looking at them. Can you imagine that look of Jesus? How piercing that must have been. How like, whoa, God looking at you, saying, wait, wait. Think about this, basically saying, what then is this that is written? And so Jesus now brings up and quotes Psalm 118.22. He's like, well, what about this then? Basically, Psalm 118.22 says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the corner stone. The stone that was rejected, who's that stone? Jesus, right? He's the stone. He's who is prophesied here, the Messiah that has been rejected, like what the Jewish religious leaders are doing and soon what the people do. That stone will become the cornerstone or the chief cornerstone, the main foundational stone. They know what that is. The people understand that is there was one stone that was laid first, which is the, the, the cornerstone, the foundational stone that all the walls line up to that. The foundation line up to that. So it's very important how this stone is laid and what this stone is, how square it is, how perfect it is. And so Jesus, the Messiah, is that cornerstone, that foundational stone. And that this was prophesied already. The most important stone, Jesus Christ, will be rejected. And so Jesus says, what about this then? Right? It's been prophesied that the Messiah would be rejected. And he's saying, what about this then? It's going to happen because this is what was prophesied. And then Jesus quotes another Old Testament scripture in verse 18, which is actually Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13 through 15. And Jesus says, everyone who falls on that stone, who, who stumbles, basically what he's saying, who stumbles on Jesus will be 
broken. And whoever falls on, uh, whoever the stone falls on that will crush him. Uh, crush here means like pulverized. So think about this. The Jews and the religious leaders, they stumbled. Yeah, They fell on the stone. They stumbled over the fact that Jesus came, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. They, they stumbled over that. They couldn't receive that. And then Jesus is, that, is the one who will crush those who reject him in judgment. So here we see the prophecy. This is really the prophecy of the rejection of Jesus. This is where the downfall of the nation really came from, where they stumbled on the fact that, what, Jesus? He's the Messiah? No, no. They stumbled on that. And ultimately, along with the religious leaders, they're going to be judged because they rejected Jesus. And that's what these prophecies talk about. In a way, you can look at this as the two comings of Jesus. The first coming is a stone on the ground that was rejected that the Jews and the religious leaders stumbled over. They didn't get that Jesus was to come humbly, right? Die on the cross, not take over the world. And that the Messiah, his first coming was to die first. But in his second coming, that same stone will crush those who have rejected Jesus. They'll be crushed in judgment. And we've been learning about that in Jesus' second coming on Sunday, right? We just talked about his second coming in Revelation chapter 19. Uh, we, we, we've been learning that uh, the other week. So the rejection of Jesus has been prophesied, but so is the judgment on those who reject him. And that's the idea here. So Jesus is warning here, and this is the point in this section. The prophecy already spoke of his rejection, and to do that is to your own destruction in judgment. The prophecy in the Old Testament, already spoke of his rejection, and to do that is to your own destruction. That's why Jesus says, you know, the people, in response to the people saying, what, what, no, that's not going to happen. No way, people don't do that. But just say, wait, how about this prophecy about the Messiah, that he is to be rejected? Think about that now. And to reject the Messiah is to do to your own destruction is to do that to reject him is to is to your own destruction take a moment and turn to the right turn to john chapter 3 john chapter 3 and i want you to see a couple of verses here uh, verse 18 and 19 in particular but uh, maybe back up we'll back up for a moment to john chapter 3 verse 16 we know this verse right john 3 16 for god so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life we we, we know that yeah we, we we hold on to that's our salvation message that the father sent jesus like in our parable to come and save us and he, he how did he save us how did the Father give him his son? To die on a cross in that rejection. Uh, verse 17, uh, 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So that's the whole purpose of Jesus coming. But then look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
right? Because we're saved. We have the atonement of his blood upon us. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the person who does not believe in Jesus already is condemned because that's the only way to have atonement. And so they're condemned in their sin already just by rejecting Jesus. And then verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because of their works were evil. They rebelled against the light. They rejected the light of Jesus Christ, the truth of salvation in him. And so they were condemned and judged because of that. And why? Because they love darkness more than the light. So the prophecy already spoke about his rejection and to reject the light, to reject the only way to be saved, to reject Jesus, you're already condemned and there's already the judgment upon you. And to reject Jesus is to... Um, bring upon your, on you your own destruction. Where are you in this? Where are you in this? Do you love the darkness more than the light that you reject Jesus? I mean, search your heart tonight. Uh, we talked about you. Um, was it last week or Sunday? It's all blurred to me right now. But we talked about. You know, you can't be in the middle here, right? You're either for Jesus or you're you're against Jesus. You're either embracing the light or you're still in the darkness. There's no gray area here. So where are you? Are you condemned already because you have rejected Jesus? Are you pushing Jesus away? Are you rebelling against the truth that is being spoken of right now? God is revealing truth to us. God is teaching us the truth of Jesus Christ. So don't like like be thinking about something else right now. Don't be like not paying attention. This is very very important because if you reject Christ, if you rebel against God's offer, you know what? There's no other Not at all. And so back to Luke, Jesus in our passages, you know, what I think about is how God is there with the people. God is there with the Jewish religious leaders. God is exposing their heart right now and trying to bring the truth of the reality of the rejection that is happening and that will happen so that people would wake up to that, so that these religious leaders would wake up. I say this over and over again, but you know what? I see Jesus not like coming down on these guys' heart, but he's just trying to shake them, yeah? Hey, I'm saying something. Hey, wake up to what I'm saying. Don't just let it go one year and out, yeah? You are lost in your sin right now. So do not be apathetic to this. Don't ignore this tonight. Don't just be here for the benefits and, yeah, and reject God. No, follow God the whole way. 
All right, so we see the rebellious heart here in the parable, in the prophecy, and now number three in our outline, the politics. And this is our last verse for tonight. Verse 19, Luke chapter 20, it says, The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So now, more than ever, the scribes, the chief priests, remember they are the Sadducees, the scribes are, are mostly uh, Pharisees, the elders were there too, the, all the elders, these official, this official delegation, the representatives of the Sanhedrin, they even more so sought to lay hands on him. What do you mean? They, they wanted to grab him. They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to take him and condemn him right there. They, they were upset here. They did not like what Jesus said. They wanted to grab him right then and there. You can imagine what they're he's talking about us. And they, they just wanted to, I, I believe the temple police or the authorities were there and they were like probably wanting to tell him, grab him right now. Yeah. They, they were not happy with all that Jesus said here. And, and they, they were basically, they knew Jesus was declaring that, you know what, they were talking, he was talking about them right there. And think about this. If the vineyard owner is God, yeah, and the servants are the prophet of God, and then the vineyard owner, who is God, sends his beloved son, who is Jesus, God. And if Jesus is the vineyard owner's son, then who has authority here? Jesus does. So in a way, Jesus is also answering their question when they first came, right? Who gives you that authority? They can see it there, and they didn't like that. They did not like that answer. And so they wanted to grab him right then and there, but there was a problem. What is that at the end of verse 19? But they feared the people. See, if they came against Jesus, if they tried to grab him, if they tried to take him, arrest him, have him condemned and killed, the people will turn against them, right? That would jeopardize their position and power that they had over the people. They would lose control. Everything that, that they had, that really God had given them, that God had allowed them to have be leaders and, and this whole lifestyle that they had, they it would mean they would lose it all. They could not grab Jesus because they feared the people and the, the people Jesus was popular to the people at this moment. And if they grabbed Jesus, then oh that'll be over for them. That to kill Jesus, to condemn him, to grab him and rest him now would be basically political suicide for them. How sad. The hard hearts of the religious leaders didn't like what Jesus said. How sad is that? But they couldn't get to him. They couldn't condemn him. They couldn't kill them. I think this is so crazy because these guys are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of Israel. Yeah? 
But what did they want to do? They want to murder Jesus. They want to get him away, get him out of the picture. They were more concerned with their position, their political position, the power they had over the people. The, 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 they are very wealthy. Yeah? They had a certain lifestyle, the control they had, and they, they, their position. They, did, they wanted to hold on to that. J.C. Ryle wrote, they were too proud to repent and too hardened to turn from their sins. And then J.C. Ryle said this, Let us beware of doing likewise. Let us beware, you guys. Well, our last point is this. The politics and power of the religious leaders was more important than the truth of God coming from Jesus. Isn't that sad? They didn't. Listen to what Jesus was saying. The whole parable, yeah, they knew it was about them, but what was God trying to tell them? Yeah, what was the lesson there for them? That's what we should, how we should listen, right? But what they wanted was politi polit their politics and power. There, that was more important than the truth of God. Sometimes we listen for, oh well, what we want. And what would bolster us, and what would help us, and what would would give us more power, or 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 give us ammunition, you know, against someone else. See, you know, the elbows, yeah, of, of, of your spouse next to you, or you know, when, or or saying, see, Pastor Rick said this, and and you want to use it as a whip weapon, yeah, against uh, someone. But are we really listening? for the truth of God to speak to us? Or does it threaten us because we're holding on to some politics or power? You know, I was thinking about John Wycliffe. He was a theologian, a, a pastor, a, a writer in the 1300s. Yeah. Uh, even way before the Reformation, he, he actually stood up against the, the, the elite clergy of the Roman Catholic Church and they were very powerful uh, politically they are very wealthy uh, they are very uh, close to the uh, emperor the Roman emperor and all and uh, um, he went up against them Wycliffe he was even, even what they didn't like he was influential in stopping England from giving more taxes to Rome and that made him an enemy of the papacy and um, but Wycliffe, God gave him a, a voice. He was outspoken against their lifestyle and their stance on doctrines and going against uh, the the Bible. One of the main things that another main thing that the elite clergy didn't like was that John Wycliffe translated the Bible into English, into the everyday language of, of England English. Um, see, back then, the Bible was only really written in Latin. And that language was they, the, the Roman Catholics there considered Latin as the holy language. And only priests could understand it and read it and be able to um, teach the Bible. So they kept it in Latin, but not a lot of people knew Latin. So John Wycliffe translated the Bible into English so that everyday people could read it, but they did not like it. I think 
They did not want the people to read for themselves and discover God's truth for themselves. Because the papacy wanted to hold that power, that official power. Uh, John Wycliffe was persecuted. Uh, he did die of a natural death. But the weird thing was after he died, uh, he was declared a heretic. And then 20 years later, there was so much still bitterness against him. Um, after his death, his bones were dug up and burned. Crazy. yeah. That kind of hatred and drive to preserve your lifestyle, your money, your political position. I mean, that's what these Jewish religious leaders were like. The politics and the power of the religious leaders was more important than the truth of God coming from Jesus. Is that you? Is that us? Search our hearts. There shouldn't be any inkling of that inside of us. Oh, may the Lord open our eyes to to these things that even if there's a little seed in there, we need to take it out. We need to rid ourselves of that. We need to embrace and treasure the truth of God. You know, what's sad is the very thing, the very person that was trying to save the religious leaders and the people, or especially the religious leaders, was the one they were trying to get rid of. Isn't that sad? The very authority that is trying to save us, the Word of God, Jesus Himself, God Himself, that we need to listen to. That's who we need to listen to. That's why we study the Bible. These truths is to to speak to us, to convict our heart and rid us from those things that are really killing us spiritually, that are really driving us away from who God wants us to be. So let's not reject the truth because just because we don't like it. Yeah. I'll close with this. A long, long time ago, a wealthy Chinese businessman was visiting England while he was... Uh, uh, visiting England on a trip. And while he was there, for the very first time, he looked through a powerful microscope. He became fascinated with this wonder of technology way back then. And uh, he was shown how beautiful even everyday items looked when they're magnified by the microscope and its lenses. He decided to buy one and take it home to China. He he thoroughly enjoyed it. It entertained him. He was using a microscope, looking at flower petals and studying the shape of crystals, and, and they looked so beautiful. But all that ended when he decided to examine some rice that he was planning to cook for dinner. And much to his surprise and his dismay, he discovered tiny living creatures were crawling on it. <laughs> you know what he did? He stood up, standing back from the microscope and wondered, oh, what, what am I going to do? Well, he was in a predicament because this is what he ate every day. He loved his, his steamed rice, but what is he going to do now? Well, there was only one thing he could do. He took the microscope and smashed it to pieces. <laughs> Getting rid of what exposed the truth, right? That is exactly what the religious leaders uh, want to do with Jesus. Let's not be that way. Yeah? Let's not be that way. You know, we want to listen to God because we want to change. These guys, 
rather than listening to Jesus, they would rather stay the same. Let's not be that way and be like them who have the rebellious heart. Let's pray. Lord, when you expose, God, through your truth, the darkness of our heart, God, let us not pick and choose what we want to hear, what we want to do. God, when you expose, Lord, those things as you go deeper into our lives, God, that are maybe hidden away in those cracks and crevices, Lord, that we have maybe kept there and we shouldn't have, that maybe there's things we've forgotten and maybe allowed that shouldn't be there. God, when you expose them, God, let us not turn away from you. Let us not make excuses. Let us not think that, well, it's okay. I like that, God. Let us not be those who love darkness more than the light, God. But let us be those who deal with it, God. Who bring it to the cross to be forgiven of. To be surrendered to you, Lord. God, it's our own sinful flesh that craves position, that craves money or or power, control. But God, we don't want to be that. We want to be surrendered to you because you are the owner of the vineyard, not us. Everything we have belongs to you and what you have blessed us with, our families, our home maybe a position at work or in ministry. God, it's it's you that have called us and placed us there. It is nothing of our own doing, God, but it's by your grace, Lord, that we are what we are and we are where we are. So, Lord, we humble ourselves before you and we thank you for your mercy. And, God, we don't want any of those sinful, fleshly desires to be have any part of us anymore, God. So cleanse us right now. Release us right now. As we acknowledge you, O Son of God, Jesus, to be our Master and our Lord. As we bow before you. As we do your will and your bidding, God. And even though it may be the hardest thing to do, let us surrender to you, God. For you are our Lord God. Even in the face of painful things, even when everything in our being, God doesn't want to do your will, Lord, let us surrender, deny ourselves, and be who we are, God, believers in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, take out the rebelliousness in our heart and put in us a new heart that is tender and soft toward you and that loves you and wants to live for you and not me anymore, but you, Jesus. Thank you, God. We worship you now in Jesus' name.